An interesting coincidence of dates today, actually these, these few days that we're in the middle of. What is the calendar date today in numbers? 16th. What month? It's 3-16. My mom called me this morning to tell me that today is 3-16. Like John 3-16. And, and John 3-16 says, For God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son. And today is, is one of those days when we celebrate that, that, that Jesus came. But also, not only is today 3-16 and Palm Sunday, what's tomorrow? St. Patrick's Day. Does anyone know what yesterday was besides Saturday and the 15th? The Ides of March. And it got, it got me thinking, those, those couple collaborations of dates about different things. But let's start by talking about today. It's Palm Sunday, and I'm surrounded by palms up here, and we had palms in the background, and there's palms on the sides of the church. There's palms everywhere. So what's the big deal with, with Palm Sunday? If you look on the front of your bulletin, I put a picture, we put a picture on there this week of, of a, a scene that's described in the Bible. And in Matthew chapter 21, we find a, a description of, of what's going on there. And what's going on really is that Jesus has been out teaching. He's been teaching all over the countryside, but a kind of purposefully staying away from the big city of Jerusalem. And he's out there teaching and, and people are coming to see him and people are, are listening and they're, they're following him and, and he's getting to be more and more popular, but he's staying away from the big city. And there's a number of different reasons for that, but today celebrates the day when he finally kind of comes into his own, when he finally gets the recognition, that one time on earth when he gets that recognition that that he really deserved. And there's, there's a picture of that on the front of your bulletin. And what they did was he rode into town on a donkey, and this had been <coughs> foretold in the Old Testament, that he was going to come in and ride on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So he was on a young donkey. He wasn't on a big, fancy horse. He wasn't on a camel. He was just kind of the lowest of the low, riding on, on a, the colt of a donkey. And he comes in and the people welcomed him. And they welcomed him by taking palm branches and laying them down in front of him and, and waving them around. And these were palm branches are, are plentiful around there. They're all over the place. And what they were doing was, was making a pathway for him and saying, we're welcoming, in you, we're welcoming you in. We want you to come and be part of this. We want you to come and, and share with us. We want to just fill ourselves up with you. And this is what we see in, in, in Matthew 21. Verse 9, we see what happens, and we see this, this beautiful celebration. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And here the people are. They're just praising him. They're saying, we're welcoming you. You're the blessed one. We've been waiting for you. We can't wait to just be filled up with you. And it's a beautiful, beautiful scene. And last week, or two weeks ago, actually, we talked about being filled up with Jesus. And if you weren't here, what we did was we, we looked at the story of the woman at the well, which we're going to come back to. But we talked about being filled up with Jesus instead of the things of the world and, and what things we put in place of that, the things that we let stop that. And if you were here, we wrote down on a card what 
what we let stop us from being filled with Jesus. And we put that in a box, and those are off in a landfill somewhere now, because we don't want that to stop us anymore from being filled with Jesus. We want to be filled up like, like we see in this picture that these people were. They were filled. They, they, everything seemed great. And if we, we flip through the pages of the book of Matthew, we see this story called the triumphal entry, which is what we celebrate today, Palm Sunday. And then Jesus goes to the temple, and he clears out the temple. And then he sees a fig tree, and he makes the fig tree wither. And then he gets in fights with the, the priests and the Pharisees, and, and the people start to say, wait, what's going on here? This, this isn't what we expected. He's fighting with people, and he's killing trees. Then he starts teaching, and he tells them all that they, they have to love their neighbor as themselves. He says, who's your neighbor? And he says, well, those Samaritans, those people that, that you don't really like, those, those are your neighbors. And he tells them a parable of the sheep and the goats and says that if basically he says, if you're not helping the poor people, if you're not helping those around you, then God's going to see you and, and say, I never knew you. Wait, wait a minute, that's hard stuff. And then a woman comes in who has a bad reputation. She's a loose woman. She's been around. And she comes in and she gets a personal audience with Jesus, which is just like, wait, what's going on here? And she takes oil and anoints his feet. She dumps expensive perfume on his feet and then cleans it off, wipes it up with her hair. And all these things weren't what the people were expecting. I mean, they, they thought it was going to be a big party, like, like that first day that he came. Just a few chapters later, in Matthew 27, we find this. Jesus is on trial. Pilate is the Roman governor. And Pilate asks the people, he says, What shall I do then with Jesus who is called Christ? They all answered, Crucify him! Why? What, what crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him! This is just a few days later. Less than a week later. If Jesus came in on Sunday, this would be Thursday. What, what's the same in these two passages? In both, in both instances, the people are talking about Jesus. But what else is the same? It's the people. Come in and there's this crowd of people. All the, the, the poor people, all just the people of Jerusalem are there. They're throwing a, a big celebration for him. Less than a week later, these same people... are standing in front of the governor saying, mm-mm, get rid of him. We don't want him. Less than a week later. And we might find that, that hard to believe. And we say, well, well, the people, it was, it was the religious leaders who didn't like Jesus. They, they made the people do this. They made them? No, they, they didn't make them. No one was holding a gun to their heads. Well, they didn't have guns. No one was holding a sword to their heads. But what happened was the people just kind of... You know, the party was over. That, that excitement was gone. And, 
And the people just said, okay, what's next? What's going to be exciting now? What's going what's to fill us up now? And then they were pushed around. No one, no one in this crowd was shouting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In fact, they said, let his blood be on our heads. That's a big turnaround. And, and I thought about this because yesterday was the Ides of March. The Ides of March celebrates one of the greatest betrayals in history. And, and not Jesus and Judas. But in 44 BC, about 70 years before this happened, Julius Caesar was the emperor of Rome. And he was the big shot. And he, in some instances, thought that he was God. Well, people got sick of this, including his closest advisors, and they decided that on the 15th of March, which on the Roman calendar, the 15th is referred to as the Ides of March, they all got together and all at once stabbed him in the back. And in the famous line that Julius Caesar looked around, and there's his friend, Brutus, and he says, A tu, Brute? says, you too, Brutus? Even you? My friend? This person who I trusted? And when I look at, at the story that we find in Matthew, and here's these people who are welcoming Jesus and saying, yes, yes, this, you're what we want. Come in. Come in and show us what, what you can give us. Come and fill us up. Just a few days later, A2 Brute? A few days later, they're the ones who are there saying, let his blood be on our heads. And it's a sad, sad story. And in some ways, it's something that, that we can't relate to. Because I don't know about you guys, but I've never seen anyone coming into town on a donkey and, and laid down palm branches in front of them. In fact, I've never even been there when a conquering hero comes in of any kind and rides on the back seat of a convertible and waves to the people. I've never, I've never seen that. Maybe some of you have, but, but to me, I, I know what it's like to come to a church service on Sunday or to go to a revival, or I used to go to, to church camp in the summer, and you'd leave there on the last day, and you'd be all excited. And you'd say, all right, let's go. Let's, I'm, I'm filled up. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to do this. But come about Thursday of the next week, it seems like everything's back to normal. And you just kind of, oh, what do I need now? What am I going to look for now? What, what am I going to get excited about now? And I see this as a regular thing in my life. It's a regular occurrence. And, and it gets worse as time goes on. And there, there's other examples of how this works in life. And if you drove here this morning, which most of you did, and had trouble parking in the parking lot, then you're going to probably be a little afraid of what I'm about to show you. Because these days it can be pretty scary. That's right. It's scary, isn't it? I mean, you look at that gauge on your dashboard. And I know that I see it. It slowly just goes down and goes down and goes down. And it, every time I look at it, especially it starts to get below that halfway point, I'm saying, oh, man, my heart starts beating. And then you, you look at the news and say, okay, is there anything in the news about 
oil or how much a, a, a barrel of oil costs and all of a sudden it's going to jump up 30 cents in one afternoon and you're afraid that that this number that your gauge your gas gauge is going to be down at empty like this one is and all of a sudden you're going to pull up to the gas station and see this that a, a regular gallon of gas costs an arm and plus costs a leg and if you want to fill up with premium it's going to cost you your firstborn but sometimes being filled up there's a cost to it and if we're getting filled and we're not paying the cost is that really is that really working for us or is it just a temporary thing we're going to have to keep getting filled and keep getting filled and keep getting filled Two weeks ago when we talked about this, I said we were going to talk about the problem, then we are going to talk about the solution this week, and we are. If you've got your Bibles, open up to John chapter 4. This is the same place we looked last time, and here we find a woman who's on empty. And she's found a way to fill her tank, or so she thinks. We find a woman at the well who's been going there all of her life, going to get water from the well, and she leaves, and then the next day or two days later when the water's gone, she comes back, fills up again, back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And Jesus, in the middle of this, says to her, I can fill you up with water which will never leave you thirsty again. And she says, what, what do you mean, never be thirsty again? I've been drinking water my whole life. I'm always thirsty again. And then he, he switches things around on her. He turns things around. And he tells her, go call your husband and, and bring him here. And the woman says, well, I, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, that, that's right. You don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five husbands. The man you're with now, he's not your husband. See, the woman was going to the well to get water and get filled up, but, but also, spiritually and emotionally, she was going to men to get filled up. She was going and falling in love with one man, and she'd feel really good for a little while, but then come Thursday, say, wait a minute, this isn't, isn't doing it anymore. And the marriage would fall apart, and we don't know the details of any of this, but we've all, we've all seen this. We've all seen this situation that that marriage doesn't work, and the next thing you know, she's all excited she met another man. Two, three, four, five. Now she's working on number six. And none of those are really going to satisfy her. So today we're going to look at what Jesus does in this situation. How does he approach this woman to really break through everything and get her filled up? What, what she's done before and what she's trying to do now. How does he really fill her up? What does that process look like? First thing that Jesus does is he comes up to her. And for us, that seems like, oh, that's fine. Jesus was a nice guy. He would just go around and talk to people. But, but that's not the case. Because Jesus comes up to her and he says, will you give me a drink? And the woman's surprised. Because this isn't supposed to happen. Verse 9 says, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? What are you thinking? How can you do this? This isn't the way that things go. You're not supposed to ask me for a drink. And there, there are two issues here. First one is she's a Samaritan. 
and there's a, it's a big no-no for Jews like Jesus to talk to Samaritans. And this has like a thousand years of history behind it. Because what the Samaritans were, were they were a mixed breed of Jews and other people. And years and years before this, the Jews had been kicked out of their, of their land. And the Persians had sent other people in to commingle with the Jews and to dilute them. And what they were trying to do was get rid of all different ethnicities and all different types of people and make everyone the same. Because then they'd be easier to control. This was a strategy that the Persians used for a long time. And if you look at Jewish history, it was, it was a big deal for Jews to stay pure and to stay devoted to God. So when these people became not really Jews, but, but still kind of Jews, this was a big, big no-no. And the regular Jews said, we're not going to talk to them. We're not going to associate with them. We're not going to deal with them. In fact, it was strange for Jesus and his followers to travel through Samaria where they lived because most Jews wouldn't do that. They'd go around hundreds of miles out of their way, possibly, so that they wouldn't have to be in the same area as these people. And if you don't see how we, how some people feel that way still today, then you're not paying attention to what goes on in the world that we live in because these ideas are still out there. And Jesus comes through and says, I'm going to talk to you anyway. The other thing was she was a woman. And Jesus, as a Jewish man and as a rabbi, was not expected to talk to women. It was, it was frowned upon because when he would talk to a woman, there would be the chance that, that he would say the wrong thing or look at her the wrong way or ha- present the wrong ideas and people would, would think that there was something else going on. And this was taken to such extremes by some people. There were actually rabbis who refused to look at a woman in any way at all. So if they saw, if they were walking down the street and there was a woman coming the other way, they would close their eyes. They wouldn't stop walking, but they would close their eyes and keep walking. And they were actually known as the bumped and bruised rabbis because it was a very common thing for them to be walking. They'd see a woman coming, they'd close their eyes so they wouldn't look at her, and they'd run into whatever was there. The guy in front of them, they'd trip and fall and hit the ground. And to them, this was, I don't look at women. I close my eyes. And, and to them, it was a pride thing. And Jesus, as a rabbi, was expected maybe not to go to that extreme, but for him to approach a woman that he didn't know and talk to her, that was way out of the ordinary. And Jesus says, well, I'm not going to deal with, with these societal things, but they say this is the way it's supposed to be, this is the way it's not supposed to be. So the routine doesn't get it done. We've been living according to this routine for years and years and years. And here's this poor woman who's going to the well and coming back and going to the well and coming back. And she needs to break out of that routine. If we want to really be filled up with God, we need to stop the routine. Because we all have routines in our life. Things that we do every day, which are more about us or more about what the world tells us about than they are about what God wants from us. And there's different things that each one of us do that we try to fill ourselves up with that, that are really just taking us away from God. They might feel good for a little while, but in the end, it falls apart. There's an Associated Press article. 
that I read um, on the 8th. And it's, it, it really embodies this, and it might be something that, that none of us deal with, but we can relate to it a little bit. I'm going to read just the beginning of it. It says, she was an ambitious lawyer and TV commentator who started going to Atlantic City casinos to relax and soon was getting high roller treatment that included limousines whisking her to the resort. I'm not going to say her name. If you want to look it up, you can. She said she was even allowed to bring her dog, Sasha, to the blackjack table sitting in her purse. But her gambling spun out of control. She said she would go days at a time at the tables, not eating or sleeping, brushing her teeth with disposable wipes so she didn't have to leave. Like washing your teeth with wet naps? Ugh. She said her losses totaled nearly $1 million. And I like this line. Now she's chasing the longest of long shots. A $20 million racketing law, racketeering lawsuit in federal court against six Atlantic City casinos and one in Las Vegas, claiming they had a duty to notice her compulsive gambling problem and cut her off. It's, it's not my fault that I lost a million dollars at the casinos. It's the casino's fault. I, they should have recognized that I was going to the wrong place to get my excitement. They should have recognized that I was just going to keep going back there and keep going back there and keep going back there and never be satisfied. They should have seen that. They should have seen me washing my teeth with wet naps <laughs> and said, that's not normal. But it's not the world's job to see the things that we're doing wrong. It's not the world's job to see our mistakes. Because most of the time, the world's going to see that and grab onto it and say, all right, I'm going to take everything that you've got. You keep coming back and coming back, and I'm going to keep telling you, well, next time, next time, next time it's going to work. The next relationship that you have, the next time you come to the bedding tables, the next drink you take, the next movie you watch, the next relationship that you have, that one's going to be the one that fills you up. Instead of us going and, and doing these things that we do over and over again, maybe it's, it's time that we stopped. We stopped trying to fill ourselves up and said, all right, God, I want you to fill me up. I want you to be the one who does this. And if we, we look through what goes on here, the, the woman, Jesus tells her, about the husbands that she had and the man that she's with now. And in verse 19, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. And down later in verse 25, she says, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. And the woman is basically saying, All right. You're the one. My way is not working anymore. I want it to be your way. If we, if we want to really be filled up, we've got to stop doing things our way. We've got to yield to God's way. And when we yield, when you're driving and you're on the, the road and there's a yield sign, what you have to do is you have to slow down or stop 
doing things your way, and then go into to another way. Go into the, that traffic that's going, and just, just merge. Say, okay, I'm going to let that go, and then I'm going to become a part of that. Not, I'm going to force my way in here, but I'm going to become a part of what is going on. We have to become a part of what God's doing. And this can be hard, because we like doing things on our own. Now, when I put the, the gas thing up there, there's one thing that I have found. Now, all of us now, I think, pay more attention to where we get gas and how much gas costs now than we did a couple years ago. I remember when it didn't matter, and you just go wherever. But now it's so, we, oh, I can save three cents if I go over here. Or if I go over there, then it's a couple cents cheaper. There's a place up in Norwood called Swifty Gas. And it, most of the time, is the cheapest place that you can get gas. And if you go there, you have to be ready. Because it's different than almost every gas station that's around. Because they don't let you pump your gas. They pump it for you, and it's still cheaper. Now, once upon a time, and I'm sure that some of you remember this more than I do, that was the normal thing, that you'd pull in and the guy would come out and pump your gas and do your windows and check your oil if you need him to, but not anymore. Not anymore we pump our gas, and we clean our windows, and if we check our oil, they don't really want you to do it at the gas station anymore. But we get used to that, and we say, I'm going to do it by myself. I'm going to make sure that I get the, the gas thing in there the right way, and I get it completely filled up, and I'm going to give it a few extra pumps to make sure it's really full, or I'm going to stop it exactly where I want it. I'm going to do everything my way and get it done my way. So much so that some people that I know, when I told them about Swifty, said, they pump your gas? I don't want them to do that. I pump my own gas. That's weird them pumping your gas. I can't get used to that, I'm just gonna go somewhere else. And if we want to be filled up, Jesus is gonna do the filling. We can't do it. There's no self-serve Christianity. It doesn't work that way. Even though we try and we try and we try to make it that way. We say, well, I'm just gonna do this. I'm going to, if I do this, then it'll work. If I stop doing this, then it'll work. There's way too many eyes in that statement. It's got to be God's way. That's the only way. If we do more things, it's, it's not going to happen. We have to stop saying, I'm going to try to fill this need. I'm going to stop trying to get rid of this feeling, and I'm going to let God do it. There's another funny thing at Swifty, which they don't advertise. If you look at their sign, which is, which is normally lower than everyone else, it's the credit price sign. But if you pay cash, it's actually five cents lower than what's on that sign. And see, when we come to Jesus, There's things that, that we should do right away. Now, you can go there and tell them, you know, put in $20 cash and 
They'll come and pump your gas, and then when they put the thing there, you can take off and leave. You've got your gas without paying, but, well, that's not exactly the best way to do things. And the same thing with, with God. We can come to God and say, God, come and, and fill me up. And then we can say, oh, God, thanks. That was a great service on Sunday, and now I'm out of here. I'm done. But if you go back to Swifty in the same car, and they see it's the same guy pumping the gas, and you just took off last time, what do you think the chances are that they're going to fill your tank up again, knowing that last time you left without paying? I'd say slim to none. But luckily, Jesus is not the Swifty gasoline store. Because there have been times when each one of us has taken from God and said, thanks, I'm out of here. When we see the story of the woman that's here, that's not what she does. She, she hears from Jesus. She has, starts a relationship with him. She, she starts a little bit to get filled up with him. And she's not completely satisfied. She doesn't still under, understand everything. But she says, I, I have to do something about this. And she goes. The first thing that she worries about, the first place that she goes is to worship. Immediately after Jesus tells her about her husband's, she asks him a question. She says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She says, I, I see that you are a prophet, and I want to worship you. I want to worship God in the right way. How do I do that? Because for years and years there's been this controversy among our people and their people, and, and I just want to do it the right way. I want to worship you in the right way. And Jesus responds. He says, Basically, it doesn't matter where you worship. It doesn't matter if you're here. It doesn't matter if you're in Jerusalem. He says, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. She says, thank, she, she doesn't just say thank you and take off. She says, God, I want to worship you now. I want to give you what you want, and that is worship. You want our praise. How do I do that? Jesus says, in spirit and in truth. In Romans 12:1, Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And here Jesus is saying you have to worship in spirit. And Paul describes that. He says you offer your bodies as living sacrifices. The things that we do are how we worship God. We go and we, we help other people. We help people who we see in need. Or we stay away from those things that we know aren't good for us. This is how we worship God. It's an action that we take or an action that we stop taking. Like we've talked about before, we can't try to fill up our own tanks. We have to let God do it. We also must worship in truth. Paul says again in Romans 1.25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than their creator, who is forever praised. If we worship and serve created things, Paul says that's, that's a lie. That's not worshiping in truth. And created things are basically everything that we see around us. 
If we're more worried about the kind of car that we have or the TV that we have or, or the things, that, the movies and the, the entertainment that man has made, if that's our, our goal, then we're worshiping a lie. God says we have to worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman does this. She goes immediately and she says, this is what I want to do. I appreciate you filling me up, and this is what I want. I want to worship in the right way. And the other thing that she does is basically automatic, so much so that it's not actually included in the story. We just see the result of it. And it's also something that, that we don't do automatically. In verse 39 of John chapter 4, and we're like two sections later now. It says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him, Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Here's this woman, and she says, this has been great. I've been filled. I've been changed. I want to share the same thing with other people. And way too many times, we'll come to church and we'll find something. We might not know what it is. We might not know everything about it, but we, we find something. And then Sunday afternoon happens, and Monday morning happens, and it gets to Thursday, and we haven't told anyone, hey, something happened on Sunday. Something happened, and, and, and I want to tell you about it. We, we say, well, that's, that's weird. Nobody wants to know about that. Or that's just between me and God. That's our private thing. And I want to keep it that way and keep it holy. And that's not the example that we get. Every time that we see someone have an encounter with Jesus, they go and tell. And in Mark, there's a funny thing that happens because Jesus says to people, don't tell. And they go and tell anyway. <laughs> but part of being filled is sharing that with other people. We talked about that two weeks ago. That Jesus doesn't just fill us enough for us. He comes in and makes in us a stream that bubbles up and overflows. That's not just for us, it's for other people. If we want to be filled with Jesus, there's a different thing that each one of us has to do. If you are here two weeks ago, we wrote on a little card. Something that we think in our lives is keeping us from following God. And it could be something that, that we're doing. Well, I just, I just keep going back to this. I keep thinking, well, I feel better when I'm drunk. Or I feel better when I'm high. Or I feel better when someone's just showing me love in, in different ways. I feel better when everyone's looking at me. I feel better when, when I have the best, newest thing. I feel better when I can just slip into a movie theater or pop a DVD in the DVD player and say, I forget about what the rest of what's going on and I can just get lost here. And sometimes that's what we need to stop. We need to say, all right, I'm not going to just try to disappear in this anymore. I'm going to go out and face what's really out there. Or sometimes it's something that we need to, to start doing. That we say, the thing that, that's keeping me from God is, is not going after him is not finding out about him. In your bulletin, there's a little space in there, and it says, this week, I'm going to start doing, and I'm going to start seeking. I'm going to stop doing something. I'm going to start seeking God in some way. 
And this week is Easter week. Today's Palm Sunday. We're going to go through this week. Friday is Good Friday. And then next Sunday is Easter. We celebrate Jesus coming back. If there was any week of the year when you should say, all right, I'm going to go after Jesus as much as I can, this is the week to do it. To just say, okay, I spend way too much time doing this. Or I've done this over and over and over again, and it, it hasn't worked. This week, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to let, let God do it. Now, I want you to take that, that seriously this week. And say, this is what I'm going to do. This is where I'm going to go. And I want you to make that challenge to yourself with me this morning. We're going to pray when we're done praying. Jim's going to be up here and we're going to, we're going to sing our closing song, I Surrender All. And I Surrender All is a song that says, I'm going to give whatever it is to Jesus. I'm just going to let Jesus have it and, and not worry about it anymore. At the end of the fourth verse, it says, come and fill me up. I'm laying everything down so that you will come and fill me. And that's what we're going to sing this morning. But before that, I want to pray. And I'm going to pray, and I want you guys to pray with me. Don't just listen, but think about what's going on inside of you. Think about what God's told you this morning. What area of your life do you keep turning to when things get bad? It could be the past. It could be thinking about the future. There's so many different things. Only you know the right answer for you. I want you to pray along with me, whether that's quietly, out loud, whether that's just to yourself, but I just want you to pray along with me and then sing with Jim as he comes up. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you, you came and that you came humbly, but powerfully, that you rode in on a donkey, but, but that there were still people there who saw the greatness, the greatness there in you. Lord, I thank you for that. And I thank you that, that you fill us up. I thank you that, that you made us in such a way to need you. But Lord, that need that we have gets gets confused. And the world's out there telling us, you'll be happy if you do this. The world tells us having the newest things will make you happy, or looking a certain way will make you happy, or having a certain feeling will really make you happy for a long time. And Lord, there are things that each one of us do that prevent us from being filled up by you. They prevent us from really welcoming you the way that we should. Lord, right now, for each one of us, we take those things and we lay them down before you. Like those palm branches that get trampled under, under feet. We just say... God, I want to lay this down. I don't want it anymore. Instead, Lord, instead you come and fill me up. 
I want to do things your way. I want to learn about you. I want to read about you. I want to pray to you. I want to get closer to you and know you. Lord, come and fill us up this morning. Help us to lay down those things and pick up you. To be filled in a way that's not what we've tried for before, but in a way that will last. Lord, thank you for coming to complete us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.